Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf, a weekly supernatural and horror-themed podcast. I'm Chase, and I'm here with Lily. Hello. And each episode, we attempt to scare each other with research stories from around the world, and admittedly, a few that are out of this world. So take a seat, grab a drink, and join us. Looks like Lily's already got her <laughs> rum out. She's ready to do this. I'm you a little know, ready. She's back in the game. I am having a like caramel apple hot tea because it's cold, and I'm wrapped in a giant poncho blanket I made. <laughs> It's a really cute blanket. I like it. Covered in superheroes to make sure everyone knows I am a mature adult. Of course. Anyways, welcome to the first episode of season three. We took a much needed short break between seasons this year, and I'd love to say that it was all relaxing and fun, but Lily and I actually were taken down quite badly with COVID for two to three weeks. Yeah, it was it was not fun. That's for damn sure. Yeah, we even missed Thanksgiving. Like we had to stay home while everyone else was having a good time. <laughs> I'm very bitter about that. Right. I don't know if I'll ever get over that. But anyway, we're all healed up and ready to get back into the werewolf groove. So today, Lily has a rather exciting and big story for us, but there are a few things I want to talk about before we get started with the creepy tales. All right. So we received a lot of feedback about our listener stories episode, last episode, the season finale, and it seems like it was a real hit. And as a reminder, if you have a story that you want told on our show, please send it to us. The sooner we get it, the more likely it is that it'll make it onto the next episode. We had a few people who were showing them too late, and they weren't able to make it. Unfortunately. So hopefully we'll get them into the next one. Uh, we got to make them all jive and everything like that. And this last weekend, you know, since we finally got all healed up, we decided to do something a little bit special. We went on a ghost walk around the Sawmill District in Albuquerque. It was the Albu Creepy Ghost Walk Nightmare Before Creepmas, <laughs> uh, which is running until Christmas. It's hosted by Jordan Jonas, a local magician, mentalist, and self-proclaimed professional weirdo. We walked throughout the Sawmill area where he told us various creepy stories from Albuquerque's past, and we stopped at various bars and breweries along the way to have cocktails, beer, and socialize. We were admittedly really worried because of how cold it was. I think it was like 18 to 20 degrees. It was degrees. about there, yeah. And that's Fahrenheit, so all of you out there on Celsius, that's like, I think, around negative 7. So that's about how cold it is. So sure, it's not the coldest. So there's a lot of people, even in the United States, living in much colder areas, but we're desert folk. And that's <laughs> pretty darn cold for us, and we're not, you know, super excited to be it. But, you know, we dress for the occasion. It worked out. It was okay. One of the cooler things that happened on the tour was that our guide, Jordan, showed us various pictures that guests had taken near the area or even on the tour that they were on. I mean, there's no exact way to verify if the pictures are, you know, fake or doctored when he's showing it to us on a phone. But that's not the point when you go on a ghost walk. It's all about the entertainment. It's all about the show and everything. And I'll admit that the pictures were pretty cool. One of the pictures he showed us was from a, what do you call it, like a covered patio or a... Yeah, it was Courtyard like a, or something. it was in front of a venue that's in Old Town. And so it kind of had like this, a little walled in area right before the entrance. With a tiny roof and. Right. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you could see like when you zoomed in this like faint ghost like image and everyone saw, I saw it too. I definitely thought it was uh, like a woman. Well, see, in long everyone hair. saw a woman with long hair and a dress. And as they were saying, I'm sitting there staring at it going, <laughs> uh, you guys are seeing that because I saw like a side profile of like a bald fat guy wearing like a a bathrobe. How? I don't understand. It was like super Lebowski and I was sitting there I was like, are we looking at different things? And it kind of weirded me up, but it still was a really cool picture. It was. Just, you know, I wasn't going to grab our tour guide's phone to like zoom in and, you know, whatever. Sure. I will say 
that the best part of the tour was the finale. He performed a like ceremony type thing with a severed horn hanging from a chain alleged to be the horn of Krampus. And with any magic trick, if I just try to explain it to you, it's going to lose all the awe and excitement. So I'm not going to explain to you what he did. It was just particularly cool. And guy's a showman. He knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. It really was like the icing on the cake. It was was the coolest thing. Um, It was definitely something different than I've ever experienced at a walk or like a tour of any kind that is haunted. So I thought it was a nice treat. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and he does these ghost walks apparently year round. But right now it's the Christmas stuff, which I think runs through Christmas. You can Google search for the album Creepy, and if you want to check it out, I highly recommend it. Guy's a lot of fun. He's good at his job. Oh yeah, was, and that was an absolute blast. Yeah. So, and we're just going to switch gears a little bit. I wanted to remind everyone that just because it's the holiday season doesn't mean you shouldn't be getting your regular dose of horror films. (laughs) You know, because if you miss out too long, you might start thinking that the world's a nice, happy place. We got to keep knowing that it's full of killers and demons and monsters. Yeah, and then it's Christmas, so it's the perfect combination. Exactly, and after Halloween, Christmas is probably the holiday that has the most horror films devoted to it. I know we've been saving several Christmas ones, such as Christmas Horror Story and Black Christmas, till the week right before Christmas. I also feel like we need to give another watch to the movie Krampus. When we watched it, we weren't super into it, but yeah. the internet is devoted to it. So I, I know, feel like it keeps popping up, so we, I think we should give it another shot. We might have been drunk when we saw it. So That is a high possibility. I'm always down for second chances, or at least let me put it this way. Recently, I've become very into second chances, and I think that this movie deserves it. So we'll probably give that one another go. And although not Christmas-themed, we also find Dead Snow to be another appropriate one for the holidays. <laughs> it's weather-appropriate, shall I say. And same for 30 Days a Night, which we watched last week. Arguably one of the few serious vampire movies that I do enjoy. It remade the ending of Blade, but it didn't suck. Uh, Blade 2. Blade 2. Because I love yeah. the first Blade. And I'm not sure why, but I do have a soft spot for Josh Hartnett. I don't know why. <laughs> I he do just too. seems so genuine, and I'm just like... I don't know what it is, but for some reason, if you're in a movie, I'm more likely to like the movie, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't think he's ever bothered me in a movie. I always I always see him, and I'm like, that's just Josh Hartnett. Like, I can't not just see the person, so whatever actor he's playing. I don't know. I think it's because, like, when we were younger, he was, like, the teen heartthrob. It was just, like, before I really saw any of his movies, he was just on magazines. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, he's a, he's okay. Yeah, I don't know if he's, like... <laughs> Like, when I see him as a good oh, guy, I like, you're saying. I yeah. feel for him. Like, I, I, he, like, brings out empathy in me. He has, like, some magic puppy eyes where I'm just like, <laughs> oh, this guy. This guy's going uh, through a hard time, and I feel for him. Like yeah, that. I, I can know. see what you mean. Okay. I guess that's just our preface. Next episode is going to be our Christmas episode. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's going to have yet. We haven't done that research, so I don't even know it's if it's Christmas stories or not. for everyone. <laughs> but hopefully it will be something Christmassy. Yeah. But without further ado, let's get into the story. It's why you're all here. It's it's the reason we exist. So take okay. a shot. Oh, yes, uh, I should. T- yeah, you need to take a shot. And if you're listening and drinking, you should also take a shot. Or if you're not drinking like me, have like a nice hot tea to cozy up before Lily ruins our, our cozy, fun, happy feeling. <laughs> Ooh, Okay. I am ready. And you're right. I will be ruining your evening because today <laughs> I will be talking about the Velisca Axe Murders and Hauntings. Velisca or Baliska? Velisca. So it's like V-I-L-L-I-S-C-A. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about the true crime portion and then what would inevitably lead to the hauntings. All right. Yeah, I'm doing a twofer. 
So in the small town of Villisca, Iowa, sometime between the evening of June 9th and June 10th, 1912, the Moore family and their two guests were brutally murdered. In total, there were eight victims, six who were children, and two adults. Aww. I know. Wait, 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 wait. You said, and their guests, so all their guests were children? Yes. Every single one of them were bludgeoned to death with an axe. Villisca means two things, apparently. Many articles said it meant a beautiful place, but then there was another article that said it derived from a Native American word that means evil spirit. Mm. That's all I got. And where's Villisca again? In Iowa. It's in Iowa. Yeah, we've been to Iowa a few times. Yeah, yeah. I've never been there, though. No, me either. <laughs> so let's get into the details. The victims were Josiah and Sarah Moore, the parents, Herman, who was 11, Mary, 10, Arthur, 7, and Paul was 5. The two guests were Ina Stillinger, I think it's how you say it, 8 years old, and Lena, who was 12 years old. They were sisters, and they were invited by Mary. Just to, like, spend the night, I'm assuming. Just to spend the night, right. exactly. Nothing about the evening was out of the ordinary. The family had attended church and participated in the Children's Day program that evening. After the evening ended around 9.30, the family was seen alive for the last time walking back to their house. On the morning of June 10th, 1912, Mary Peckham woke up around 5 a.m. to put out the laundry. As usual, she anticipated to see her neighbors, the Moore family, doing their daily chores as well. But the house was still. Not thinking anything of it, she continued about her day. Uh, uh, that's what I like, not being too nosy of a not neighbor. Not too nosy, but being like, hey, usually I, okay. I wave or something. Used to the routine, but you're not right. going to go up to the door and be like, why aren't you doing your chores, uh, folks? Scales me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it wasn't until around 7 a.m., that Peckman started to think that something might be wrong. She could hear the horses neighing in the barn and no one was around to tend them. She finally decided to walk over and knock on the door. No one answered. She tried to open the door, but it was locked. Peckman then went to just actually let out the chickens. So she saw that the animals are getting really irritated and decided to help out. Before she contacted Josiah's brother, who was Ross, and he eventually stopped by the house around 8.30. He tried knocking and shouting, but still there was no response. Finally, Ross used his spare key and opened the front door. He first made his way inside through the parlor room until he reached the guest bedroom. There he found the dead bodies of Ina and Lena Sillinger still lying in their bed. Upon seeing this, Ross called out to Peckman, who was still just waiting in the porch, mm. and told her to call the police immediately. Ross would later be quoted by a newspaper saying, quote, their heads chopped open with an axe, a spectacle so repulsive that it was almost beyond comprehension that six more victims murdered in identical same fashion lay in the two bedrooms upstairs, end quote. Officer Hank was the first investigator to respond and arrive on the scene. He went inside, inspected the house, and um, he actually ended up finding the murder weapon in the guest bedroom, where Ina and Lena were staying, which would indicate that they were probably the last ones to die. Okay. Oh, and another thing is, you know, after they looked around, they realized that the axe actually belonged to Josiah, so it was probably something that the killer picked up before he went into the oh, house. Okay. okay. Yeah. After the house was thoroughly inspected, police off officials speculated that the night went something like this. Once the house fell silent and everyone in the house was in their beds, the killer emerged from the attic where he was waiting patiently. Oh no, this sounds premeditated by, yeah. the, by this story. Exactly. 
He went into the kitchen, lit an oil lamp, and carefully removed the glass chimney to prevent it from falling and waking anyone up in the house. That way he can maneuver freely between the rooms. The killer first entered Josiah and Sarah's room and immediately began striking them on the head repeatedly. Their faces were unrecognizable. The killer swung the axe so aggressively that it left slash marks on the ceiling right above. So, yeah, the house still exists, and if you go there, you can see notch marks on the ceiling still. It was estimated that they were probably struck around 30 times. That's anger. (laughs) That's a lot of, uh, yeah, like just, it usually means that you're not doing Whenever that to you be hear thorough, about that. you're doing it because you're angry. Because you're, you're, you're hating something, you hate them, you're just angry. After the parents were killed, the killer moved on to their children, Herman, Mary, Catherine, Arthur, and Paul. Oddly enough, the father was killed with the sharp end of the axe, while everyone else was killed with the blunt part of the axe. They think the reason for that is, since the dad was likely the first to, to die, he used a sharp end, but that would require, or not require, but that would like get the blade stuck into the skull. So instead he used a blunt side for everyone else so that he can do it faster. I'm not like a criminal psychologist. Yeah. I could not handle that. But my first reaction was that sounds like it's because he really hated the dad. And everyone and else he was just theory. like, I got to get rid of them. But Yeah. And that is actually another theory that okay. people have used. They're like, maybe he was more angry, but I don't know. Cause the, the getting stuck thing does actually make sense too. Yeah. But my, my opinion should be taken with a grain of salt. This is, <laughs> I tend to not do true crime stuff. Cause right. it's horrifying. I know. Welcome. <laughs> so the most recent owner who ha- who owns the house right now, uh, who I will be talking about a lot later, said that as they were removing the house or renovating the house, they took down the wallpaper in the bedroom and they could still see a ton of slash marks all over the wall in every bedroom, particularly in the Moore's kids room. So there was a circular pattern etched in the ceiling as if the killer was swinging the axe above in a celebrating frenzy kind of thing. Weird. And because it doesn't fit to like kill, it was more like he was just excited and, and just spinning around, spinning around and yeah, with his axe up in the air. That's so insane. It's so disgusting. Finally, the killer went to the guest bedroom and presumably killed uh, Ina first. Lena was the only victim that showed evidence that she was awake for her murder. There were defense wounds on her arms and she was laying across the bed and there was evidence of something bad happening to her. Aww. Yeah. Um, after the killer was finished with the family, the, the killer covered every single mirror and reflective surface in the house with cloth or clothes. He also covered the bodies or the faces of their victims. Oh, that's some serial killer stuff right there. That's just weird. Cause yeah, I don't know what that means. The killer stayed in the house a little longer, uh, because what was found is a bowl of water that was obviously used to wash some blood away. And there were footprints found around the house and in the kitchen, there was food left out on the table where the killer clearly ate some food and there was cigarette butts on the floor in that area as well. So he just like hung out for a while for whatever reason. So gross. Yeah, exactly. God, I wish we had DNA testing back then. Oh my God, that would have been so nice. He left behind so much. (laughs) Yeah. The killer eventually left the house uh, through the front door and locked the door behind him and taking the keys with him. Word spread almost immediately, and locals came to the house later that day. Police did nothing to secure the scene, so people just wandered inside and walked and touched everything. Oh, yeah. Yep. It said that about 100 people walked through the house and tainted the evidence. People were actually picking up the axe, looking at the bodies, 
and moving stuff around. It, I mean, it was a huge mess. It was basically like a museum of horror and everyone was there to like touch everything, basically. So here are some suspects. The first one is Reverend George Kelly. He was a traveling minister that lived in town. Despite his title, people saw him as a weird guy. There were rumors in town of him suffering from mental breakdowns when he was a teen. But most importantly, he was he's had accusations of being a peeper and known for asking women and girls to pose nude for him. Despite these allegations, he arrived to Villisca on June 8, 1912 to teach all the children's day services the following day. This is the, the same child's uh, day service the Moore family attended and were last seen alive. Wow. It's so weird that he would do that, but whatever. Here are some reasons why investigators accused Kelly. The coroner concluded that the killer was left-handed based on how the axe was swung, and Kelly is left-handed. He also left town between 5 and 5 a.m., or 5.50 a.m., giving him more than enough time to have committed the murders. And those two things, I guess, and just because of his history, were enough to bring him in and for questioning. After hours of interrogation, he confessed to the murders, but then when it was brought to the grand jury, the jury didn't believe it, and it was... Yeah, he might have whatever. been... Incompetent or, yeah, exactly. Since he wasn't convicted, he was released, but that wasn't the end. Weeks later, Kelly started becoming progressively obsessed with the case. He would constantly write letters to the investigators and family members of the victims. One investigator decided to reply by writing back and requesting for more information and details about the case in hopes that that he would reveal something that no one else would know. Kelly did reply. He ranted about the case, making weird claims that he heard the family getting murdered, but then also would say that he witnessed it. At this point, it was clear that Kelly was suffering from mental illness, which made it difficult to to decipher what was actually true, if any of it. Because of this and lack of evidence, authorities eventually gave up. There were other issues with Kelly being the killer. For one thing, he was around 5'2 and weighed only about 100 pounds. Yeah. Although not impossible, it was it would have been difficult for a man of his stature to have wheeled a an axe that heavy over a hundred times. Yeah, to hit like that, yeah to be at that crazy. Exactly. Um, at least that's what people were saying at the time. I mean, I think with just the right amount of crazy and adrenaline, you might uh-huh. be able to. But it's they, that crazy strength. Man. It's that crazy strength, and so I think they were probably thinking, no, he can't do it. He's so little. Okay. Blah blah blah. Well, we didn't hear much about Kelly until 1914 which would have been two years later. He was arrested for uh, sexually harassing a woman that had originally applied for a job as his secretary. He was admitted to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which was a mental hospital. This, once again, got the attention of investigators who never stopped believing that he was a murderer. In 1917, Kelly was convicted again for the Velisca murders and, and actually was able to get a second confession. But a few hours later, Kelly recanted And he said that the police used force and coercion, just like you were saying. And so two separate trials were actually held for him, but he was acquitted for both. Damn. Yeah, so they just couldn't quite get him on it. I would have a hard time believing that a really tiny guy could do it. I would also say in... You said this was 1917 for his, like, second trial? The Yeah, when he was, like, convicted for his other assault and whatever. My assumption is someone this crazy that kills that many people at once i would anticipate a trail of bodies over five years right because that was a long time and and him not being anywhere near another crime scene yeah would have been very unlikely or something legal troubles with sexual harassment sexual harassment is a very different crime exactly that's quite the leap too 
it's also really crappy and horrible. But yeah, yeah. It's, you can't just say, oh, this guy has been arrested for sexual harassment. He's a murderer. It doesn't work. I mean, like no, that. murder, sure, but like that level of murder uh-huh. of what, what that was. Yeah, exactly. So the next suspect is Frank Fernando Jones. Uh, Jones was an Iowa state senator and successful businessman that ran his own implement store. Josiah Moore worked for Jones for many years, but he eventually left to start his own implement store with blackjack and hookers, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, It caused definitely friction between the two, and there was a heavy sense of competition. Moore progressively would take away customers, but even big contracts like John Deere. There were also rumors that Moore was having an affair with John's daughter-in-law. Also, one detail I should mention that will lead into the next suspect is that Jones didn't kill the family himself, or at least it wasn't believed he did, okay. but rather hired a hitman. This makes more sense because if you hire a hitman, there's always a waiting. chance... They'd also be waiting in the attic. That makes sense. And they there. would be like more tactful and everything, but also a loose cannon. So even though he might have only wanted Josiah dead, it doesn't mean that the killer would have been like, eh, screw it, I'm just going to take everything I want. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? We Man, when you think about it, if it was like a contract killing, that does make sense because... The kind of person who would be willing to take that uh-huh. kind of job is going to be unhinged. And if it was a whole job to them, they'd just be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally It doesn't gonna... matter. Yeah. And the whole mirror thing might be because you're a little unhinged if you're willing to get paid to kill It people. could be a ritual thing. It could be like someone who do who does it is obviously unhinged, but like putting things on the mirror and cloth and whatnot could be shame as well, which is something yeah. people talk about. But yeah. So anyway, even though Jones was never convicted, his reputation and political career was completely ruined. So on to the next guy, William Mansfield, who would have been the said hitman. This is a quite detailed case as far as like what other convictions he's had under his belt. So I'm not going to really go into that or anything. Okay. I'm going to keep it light, but also try to get the important points out, obviously. About nine months before the Villisca murders, there was another axe murder that occurred in Colorado Springs. There was also one in Ellsworth and Paola, Kansas, that was between 1911 and 1912. There was the South Pacific Railroad axe murders. And also within that time frame, there was an axe murder in New Orleans. Basically, there were a lot. And yeah. <laughs> they were all unsolved, many of which were very similar to the Moore case. For example, windows and mirrors were covered in cloth and Ooh, or clothes. That's a big... Exactly. And, uh, and any reflective surface, so even windows and whatnot. So even the, the New Orleans one was like that? Yeah, so these are the ones that I... There might have been more, but these were the ones that were listed to be obviously similar. The manner in which the victims were struck were also similar. Burning lamps without the chimney were found by a basin of water uh, to clean up the blood and all that jazz. These similarities shifted people in believing that it was obviously going to be one guy. Detective James Newton Wilkerson from Kansas City was obsessed with proving that the murder was actually Mansfield. On July 5th, 1914, in Blue Island, Illinois, two years after the Villisca murders, Mansfield's wife, infant child and mother-in-law were murdered with an axe. So his family was murdered. He wasn't. So the idea is, yeah, it's him. Why? But what would have been the connection? Why would he have been in Iowa? Well, we don't really know okay, okay. as far as that. And we don't know how he would have. I mean, we know how he would have gone in because either transit in some, some fashion sure, or sure. whatever. But there, that's the issue. They were trying to prove that he was also in these other areas. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he killed his family with an axe and I guess like may have had some characteristics similar to the Villisca murders was enough for them to be like, oh, maybe he's like also the other axe guy. Who knows? 
There were issues, though. In the Velisca murder and also other ones, no fingerprints were ever recovered in any of these crime scenes. So nowadays you have to be basically a fool to not at the very least wear gloves if you're going to be committing premeditated murder. Of course. But back in the early 1900s, it wasn't common knowledge, so I don't think it's something that someone would have thought of unless they were a professional or a police officer or had been in the system some some other way. We can also just imagine maybe the guy liked wearing gloves while he killed people. That's true. It could have been cold. No, wait. I think it was June, wasn't it? I mean, that weird guy Ted Mosby needed gloves to drive, so maybe this guy's like, <laughs> I need gloves to kill people with an axe. Same, same maybe, caliber of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to be wielding an axe. I need some good gripping. I need my driving gloves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Detective Wilkerson answered this by stating that since Mansfield had been arrested in the past for different reasons, he would have had knowledge that fingerprints were gathered as evidence upon arrest. So that is something that he... That I guess a lot of convicts would have known, yeah. especially, I guess I think specifically at in crimes of, of his fashion. Sure. That's when evidence would have been collected of that kind of so thing. he would have known. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's kind of weird because in an interesting way, having knowledge of fingerprints means that it actually dwindles the pool of suspects as well. And, and I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. Wilkerson brought this evidence before a grand jury and convinced them to convict Mansfield. But upon further inspection, the defense was able to provide an alibi through payroll records that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Villisca murders. Now, this is important because what the detective was trying to do the entire time was connect him to all of these murders, Uh saying, like, it has to be the same guy. So if it's proven that he wasn't at least in one of those murders, then it means that he was in none of them. Because if it was the same guy, then it can't be him. Could also be... It was a, I think it was a mistake to bundle. Yeah. Because yeah. then. Do one at a time. Right, a exactly. Lot of, a lot, they don't really bundle a lot of cases these days. No, they I don't know. They try them separately. And, but I think in this case, like, they were trying to do that, and they were like, well, he didn't do that one, so he can't be convicted. I'm sure he's probably been in a lot, plenty of trouble, mm-hmm. blah, 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 for other stuff. But for the Velisca murders, he was not convicted. I wonder if that alibi was legit. Yeah. Well, before I move on to the next suspect, since you mentioned that. There is one detail that keeps Mansfield on the radar for a lot of people. One eyewitness by the name of R.H. Thrope, or Thorpe, I don't know, I think it's a pronunciation thing, was a restaurant owner in Shenandoah, Iowa, claimed to have seen Mansfield the morning of Velisca murders boarding the train to Clarinda. So maybe he wasn't in Illinois, but we don't know. Might have had someone covering for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean... I think if you get threatened by a freaking serial killer, you might be inclined to vouch for them. But who well, knows? and I could also believe that if he knew enough about the criminal system to hide his fingerprints, he would have also been very aware of but like if I pay this guy sent alibis. Like, yeah, yeah, I just need to make sure I'm not caught. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no reason that this guy is not super fucking smart. Just insane. Now, the other guy is Paul Miller. There was a book called The Man from the Train written by Bill James and his daughter Rachel McCarthy James. It was about a series of mass murders of the at least 60 people, so 60 victims, that they connected to one man who they think was Paul Miller. Miller worked as a farmhand for a family in West Brookfield, Massachusetts, who would later become a suspect after the family was found murdered with an axe. Miller was a German immigrant who often traveled doing odd jobs, But he was also skilled in woodworking, and he was also a lumberjack in the past. 
which a lot of people are like, whoa. That's why knows the axe. But I mean, back then, everyone knew I how mean, to use an axe. I mean, exactly. You had to use it for warmth. Yeah. Another thing that the authors connected was that all these families were located close to the railroad, like the railroad tracks. Mm, and the Velisca as well. They were near the railroad. Uh-huh. Yeah. But in my opinion, the biggest clue was that in 1922, 10 years later, a family in Hinterkaifeck, Germany, was murdered in a similar fashion to the Velisca murders. So the clothing, the, the blood, and just all of it. All of it. Yeah. Around this time also... The axe murder, kind of like the connection of the axe murders was getting a big deal. Like it was still happening. I mean, there were so many axe murders for some reason around this time. And it was getting a lot of attention. Was it, do you know if it was getting enough press that it would have been easy for people to be like copycat killers? That is another theory as well. Oh, okay. But the connection for him in particular and being near mm-hmm. the the tracks and all that stuff was definitely for Miller, I guess, is what sure. they were kind of gearing towards. And since he is from Germany... And he probably would have realized that things were getting hot in here, you know, in the U.S., that he just left. And if he did and committed the murder in Germany, I mean, like, there's not a lot of people who from the United States would go to Germany for no reason. But he is from there. And the fact that there was a murder that occurred there, very, very, very similar, is strange. And we know he had gone back to Germany. You know, I think you have to read. Records are difficult back then. Records are difficult, but I think it's in the book and I couldn't find anyone talking about that part. So I think I have to read the book to really find out, but I'm guessing yes, since it was mentioned. Sure. Sure. But I don't know. I can't say for sure. So basically this is the true crime portion of my story. There is no resolution. Unfortunately, there's no killer that was caught. Everything is still open. It's an old school. It's very, it's very old school and it's so frustrating And it's very famous. There's so much information to it. There's actually other suspects that I didn't mention, but they kind of like weren't really as tied to it. They tended to be like, oh, some transient that that passed by or some other enemy that the Moors had kind of thing in town. But these are the big ones. And I don't know, it was just horrifying to really read about, but I had a lot of fun anyway. So with that said, I think it's time for another drink. I think after that story, we all need a new drink, and we're going to take a little break. And then we're going to jump into the horror side of it, right? Oh, 100%. All right, we'll see you guys in a minute. All right, we're back. Lily's got herself another shot. (laughs) Right now, I kind of wish I had a shot so I could get through the horror that was that last part. But at least now it's time to get into the horror. It's why we're all here. So give us the creepy stories. Let's get into the hauntings. After the murders, the house would go on to have many different owners. But there was also a time that it was just a rental. So a lot of people ended up living there in the house. And records show that it was when it was a rental, it was very difficult to keep tenants. Well, see, I would say that back then when record keeping and stuff was a little difficult, like... When people were trying to rent it, they probably wouldn't know immediately that it was a house where a lot of people, mostly children, had been brutally murdered. Also, I can only assume because of the name of the town, I've never heard of it. It's probably a small town. You could be there for like three days before someone in town has told you what happened. And you're like, you know what? I don't want to rent from this and guy that anymore. that is a very possible thing. Like, maybe they moved there because of family, and then when their family members were like, oh, where are you living? And they're like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Get out. So that is also, you know, why would you go there? But maybe. exactly. I, I read about a couple who I believe was the first to move in after the murders. 
I didn't really know much else about the history. I couldn't find anything anyway. Yeah, but no worries. but but they seem to be like one of the first. Give us everything you got. Here I go. <laughs> Not long after moving in, the woman began hearing whispers throughout the house and children giggling. The couple did not have any kids, so it wasn't them. But the worst experience was when she woke up in the middle of the night and saw a man standing over her with an axe. Oh, fuck that. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I, w- I would love to ask her, did you already know about these murders oh. before you had the dream? Because, because the human mind is powerful and dreams are great. And if you have one of those not quite sure if you're awake or dreaming, I've had them. I hope none of you have, but I'm pretty sure everyone else There's has. There's got to be someone, yeah. There's kind of things like, if she already knew, I'm like, yeah, she's. I would have done the same thing she did. But if she didn't know about it and she saw that, then I'm like, hell no. It's like, this is it. Was I mean. this what, like, I know the Amityville Horror actually happened, but I feel like when they wrote the movies and stories, they were mostly basing off of this and not what actually happened to the Amityville Ooh, Horror. But anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the pre-Amityville Horror. The, the OG, prequel. the prequel. The <laughs> yes. Hobbit. <laughs> three parts just kidding uh yeah this is a horrible thing for her for something to go through for sure now the man was there for only a few seconds before disappearing she tried telling her husband what happened but he didn't believe her kind of a jerk he's After, the jealous type i guess you're thinking of other men <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna uh, think of a woman with an axe over me tonight <laughs> How do you feel about that, Janice? Janice. That's her name. <laughs> I, I, I just decided it was Janice. After some time, he finally decided to ease her mind because she kept talking about hearing and seeing things, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, I'm going to stay up all night and I'll find out if I see anything weird. Sure. He ended up also hearing whispers and giggling oh. at some point in the night. The next day, he decided to go into town and ask people for help kind of like do you know anything like trying to f- get the scoop here and after some prodding locals eventually told him about the murders oh so all this stuff ha- oh see what uh-huh. i said earlier i was guessing and now it seems like it's super creepy it's super creepy great <laughs> and needless to say they left almost immediately after that see now if this was a hollywood movie she would be able to describe what the man looked like and they would be able to track down the killer Ooh, yes i love that now they need, they need to make it. Hollywood, hello. I'm sure that exists in like three movies already that we haven't <laughs> seen. And they're probably terrible and they star like Halle Berry. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, anyway, let's keep going. So following this owner and many others, these are some of the things that people experienced while they lived at the house. So the front door would open on its own in the middle of the night constantly. Like that used to be a huge complaint, which didn't make any sense because they would lock it. And it became such a nuisance that they would have to get up in the middle of the night all the time to make sure the door was locked. And no one can get a good night's sleep if they're doing that. Dresser drawers would be found opened with their stuff flung across the room. Items around the house would be moved to different locations or just completely disappear. One family had a grandfather that refused to stay in the house. He literally built a shed in the yard and lived there instead. Damn. Yeah. I mean, that is a stubborn, stubborn man. So he's totally like Casey Jones in the first Turtles movie 
when they finally bring him to the they finally bring him to their like sewer lair and then everyone's like getting ready to go sleep he's like wait are you are you serious you guys are gonna sleep down here so he, like goes oh, up and he sleeps right. in that tiny little crappy van up on the street and it's like super hot and he's like miserable and everything but yeah. he's like anything to not be there i mean it's either hot or poop so this guy's casey jones i like him yes exactly we like grandpa <laughs> So whenever a family with children would move into the house, the kids would always hear other kids crying at night. Aww. That's so sad. Well, at least they're not giggling. The crying makes sense with what happened. The giggling, I'm like, that's weird. It's all fucked to me. I hate it. Many people... <laughs> like how we just had a disagreement over what kid noises you want to hear through the walls at night. <laughs> Which one do you We're prefer? We're not a normal couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send a message on Insta. Just kidding. No, I at least want don't. them to be crying because then I know something's wrong. <laughs> Oh my god, no. So many people have seen a man with an axe in the middle of the night as well. They're either in the bedroom or like in the hallway, but they see him. People would also hear the murders take place in real time. Like they would hear the entire event unfold. Interesting. They wouldn't see anything, but they would hear it, and that's just woof. The most recent owners to purchase a home was uh, were Darwin and Martha Lynn. Darwin has since passed away, but Martha still does own the place and runs the home as a tourist attraction. There was also a caretaker that has been interviewed in so many YouTube videos that I was watching. Basically, I would say almost every single paranormal investigative show that has attended there or like had gone there, he's probably been in that episode. Again, you know us, we're not going to pay for a lot of streaming, so I never got to see him, but they're out there. Anyway, his name is Johnny Hauser, I think is his name. Hired by the Lynns, who worked there. And when he was first hired, he admitted that he just didn't believe in ghosts. He was a skeptic. Okay. I mean, he did know about the murders, of course. He knew exactly what he was getting himself into, but he wasn't worried about it, which is why he took the job initially. He was like, not a big deal. Well, one night, while looking through the house, you know, just kind of doing his rounds or whatnot, he went upstairs after locking up the kitchen. And while he was in the kid's bedroom, he heard someone walk into the house his first thought was there's obviously somebody trespassing, which is like one of the reasons they have a caretaker at night yeah. because people would try to break in all the time. So instead of just like going out there and telling them, get the hell out, he decided to pull a prank and hide in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hauser could hear the person walking around and then finally walk upstairs into the bedroom. That's when Hauser kicked open the door and screamed, but no one was there. Yeah. He was left stunned. He is now a believer. <laughs> Should also be a little disappointed because that would have been a really cool catch. That would have been a really great like scare. Those kids would have been so pissing their pants, I think. Since then, and after working there for many, many years, he has had plenty of other experiences that would have made him a non-skeptic. Some of them include hearing conversations in rooms that he wasn't in and no one else should have been or were. A couple of times he's felt very dizzy or felt like he described as being like drunk while he's working. So he would have to step outside of the house for either a couple of minutes up to an hour, depending until it just subsided so that he can continue working. Today, uh, people can stay at the house, but it's not like a bed and breakfast. You actually have to bring your own sleeping bag and snacks. People who stay at the house tend to be paranormal investigators or paranormal enthusiasts. So is this like, I'm assuming it's a two-story house, right? It In is a two-story head, house. I pictured a two-story yes. house. Yes. Did I mention that? I probably did not. Oops. And it seems like it probably isn't really up to date and renovated. It so doesn't have a Keurig. It, 
No, there's no accommodations whatsoever. So what they did when they renovated the house is that they try to obviously clean it up, make it look nice, but they try to keep it as true to its time period as possible. So it's almost like a museum walking into a time capsule kind of thing. They have the room set up like it would have been at the time of the murders. But see, like, I don't know if it's because it was left there by paranormal investigators or they just, like, thought it was a good idea. There are toys all over the place kind of thing, especially in the upstairs. So that way when... Invest- oh, you, you, like, gifts for the G- ghost children see, so, I don't think to they're- get an interaction with them? It's either gifts or they're left there because they tend to be more reactive to those things. Bribing those kids. Bribing kids with toys yet again. Um but yeah, so I think that's just kind of what it looks like now. Yeah. I mean, it does. I, I saw pictures. And then and you got to wonder, did the paranormal investigators leave the toy because they're like, we gave this toy to the ghost kids. We shouldn't take it back. That's rude. Or if they're just like, we don't care. We didn't see anything and they leave. One makes them seem really dick and the other one makes them seem really kind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like the caretaker's job probably is to go through and be like, oh, they left a bunch of stuff for the children. We don't really need that many things. And he probably takes care of it. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe people aren't allowed to leave stuff. I don't know. I can already just imagine, like, the uh, TripAdvisor reviews where people are like, not as many axe marks on the ceiling as I thought. One star. One star. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'll get to that later. Oh, you have some? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to get your hopes up so much, but I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, so, you know, if you're ever interested in going there yourself, you can. And the cost to stay the night is $428. Holy criminy. But you can bring six people, up to six people. Oh, so it's so a you can flat split. fee. It's a flat fee. Oh, okay. For okay. The night. All of a sudden, I'm not worried about it anymore. Exactly. Now, I was thinking like 400 a night, and I was like, man, that's like, that's more expensive than when we stayed at that crazy penthouse in Denver's downtown. Yeah, which I still regret. Well, we, <laughs> it was our only option. We were there for a bachelor party. Well, I was there for a bachelor party. You were going to see our friend Lisa. Yeah. And. Like, apparently there was an event, and it was, like, the only room we could get, and I holy crap. Still sweat the about that. the hotel room we've ever stayed in. Yeah, and it w- ever will be. We'll, yeah. We will not be doing that. Well, with inflation, that's probably going to be, like, the uh, La Quinta price in, La Quinta. in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> well, how Airbnb prices are, that's about right. Um, Airbnb's so, going down. Yeah, we're bringing it down. So not that bad, especially if you bring six people. And if you actually bring more than six people, it's only $75 per person. So that's more reasonable. Luckily for people like me and you, we can go there and just get a day tour that costs like 10 bucks. Yeah, you don't want to stay there at night. Rumor has it people who stay there at night get killed by axes. And apparently large (laughs) groups is not a problem. Large groups is not recommended. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there are some things that people have experienced there. As, as, like, after people have not lived there. So people have stayed there or have just taken the tour. So, yes, yeah, so these are, like, the ghost hunters. Exactly, and the exactly. So tourists, here's some yeah. of those things. One overnight guest ended up leaving early after hearing children giggling. Straight up just left all their stuff and everything. Like, oh, that's how man, that's yeah. terrifying. I'm, I feel so bad. I wonder if, like, that person went and was like, I've been to so many places, I never get anything, not a big deal. And then the one time they do, they're like, burn everything i don't that's care. not when they give up the hobby of it <laughs> exactly. you, you see you know why i don't want to stay at one of these haunted places with you because you don't want to become a believer no 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 i mean there's always that fear but yeah. <laughs> no no Th- my real reasoning is i'm the kind of guy that knows the situation so i would go with like 
minimal everything. I would go with the bare minimum of everything I need, just emergency Like, supplies. I would just have a permanent fanny pack on me or something. Like, this yeah, is my stuff. But knowing you, you'd be like, okay, well, I need my earplugs, and I need this, and I need this, Hey, and this, I and have this, a lot this. of stuff, okay? Yeah, and it would be all this crap that, like, when something bad happens, we have to leave. You're like, but I need to grab everything. It's like, no, we got to leave behind, like, $300 worth of crap. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'm coming back. I would come back for my stuff. There's no freaking way that ghost is going to win. <laughs> I need my shoes. I need everything. But anyway, so that guy was like, whatever. While sleeping, one investigative team were woken up by loud screams, which seems to be a thing. Objects moving have been caught on camera. Uh, you, you know, if you go on YouTube and you see anybody going there and seeing the night, there are strange things that you can capture. And that was one of a big one, especially like. I don't want to say with the balls or like, cause they try to throw it and in certain areas that they think are hot spots, mm-hmm. but also even dolls and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Oh, strange fog or mist has been seen moving from room to room. This particular activity has been noted to being more prevalent when the nearby train is heard going by. Interesting. That's weird. So that kind of goes back to the yeah, Miller that it, dude. That it could have been. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Electronics fail constantly. That's a very paranormal thing to occur. And phones will drain completely within seconds. Getting your clothes tugged is common. They think it's the kids trying to get your attention. There is a shadowy figure that people have seen, particularly by the windows. Some mediums have commented that they don't believe it's anyone that actually lived in the house, but rather a spirit that has traveled through during a seance or Ouija board session. It's lashed onto the property because of all the stuff. Exactly, because so many investigators, when you go on videos and you just go on YouTube, and if you find any, just even amateurs, but like even the big guys, they're performing stuff. They've created like the place to be. For exactly. The They've okay. created their own vortex here. People get scratched during the tours. There are pictures um, hanging on the wall in the visitor center. So it, when you go, but that was like a separate building. So not the Velisca house itself, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but another building on the property. You go there to like meet up the tour guides and everything. And they have like all these pictures on the wall where there's like people's back scratched and orbs and all the things that people have captured. It's pretty cool. And it's a lot of stuff. I'll go to the visitor center. <laughs> I'll hang yeah. out there as long as they got a water fountain and you can just. Just, I'll leave you there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll take my six friends with me. <laughs> uh, so so that was pretty cool to see. I'm not going to lie online. I recommend doing at the very least that. Other things, a metallic smell is often reported, which is obviously blood. People have had strong intrusive thoughts come into their heads, but like more than normal, obviously. It's very common for guests to become very agitated. Family and friend groups that would go either doing the tour or stay there the night, have reported, like, activity that wouldn't have been normal behavior. When this happens during a tour, the tour guide stops the tour completely at that moment because he's they've seen it escalate to, like, fights and all these things to to be, like, enough for it be like, no, this is something obviously wrong and we need to stop. Weird. Exactly. Speaking of which, I found an article of a stabbing that occurred in the house eight years ago. Wait, what? Uh-huh. I need a shot after that, so give me a second. Just for fun. Is that what the Stafford said? Yeah, just, just for, for fun. fun. Maybe. 
On November 7, 2014, Montgomery County Sheriff's Office received a call at 12.45 a.m. that found a man had been stabbed in the Villisca house. Upon arrival, deputies found 37-year-old Stephen Larson Jr. with a stab wound to his chest that appeared to be self-inflicted. Larson traveled with a group from Wisconsin with the intent of staying the night. According to his friends, the night was going well. At some point, Larson separated from the group and wandered into the Northwest bedroom alone. Which one was the Northwest? Was it the so, parents or the, the kids or the two girls? So they were, apparently, I think it was like downstairs. So I think it was the guest oh, bedroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Moments later, the group heard Larson call out for help on the one-way radio, or the two-way radio, sorry, after the group found him lying on the ground and they immediately called for help. Shortly after, Larson was helicoptered to Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha. Creepy fact, the time the stabbing occurred would have been around the same time that the original murders occurred as well. Wait, wait, wait. Same time at night, you mean? The same time at night, yeah. That's estimated. So it would have been like around 1 a.m. or so. Now, when you say eight years ago... How accurate are you eight years ago, or is it like a story that said eight years ago, but it was published in 2020? Because I'm only asking because it was 10 years ago would have been the 100-year anniversary. Uh, no, it was in 2014. Oh, yes, that's, that that would have been the 102-year anniversary. Yeah, exactly, okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, that would have been freakier for sure, uh, yeah. but no. And it was also, oh, yes, okay, so it was definitely the guest bedroom because it was where the axe was also found. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larson was asked, what happened that night? He said that he didn't remember anything except going into the bedroom with the intent of provoking the spirits. Oh, so he so was he, he was, to start some shit. He did, and he admits it. He, he does admit it. He then saw a bright light come from the closet, and then he just blacked out. What? Yeah. Was this the same closet that one guy was hiding in? Yes, it was. Oh! No, wait. Oh, shoot. No, sorry, sorry. It was not because he was in the kitchen. He kid- was upstairs. Huh? He was upstairs. Yeah. Bummer. I thought I thought so too. For still, still, there's something not right about these closets, man. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> kids are right to be scared of closets. I mean, there's something to it, I think. There might be a light in your closet, kid. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't want to stab yourself. So, the next thing that he remembered was waking up in the emergency room. So, after the light, it was like, Goodbye. Okay. Larson survived his injuries and made a full recovery. Later, he would go back and revisit the house. This was like years later, actually. He apologized to the house and claims that he holds no animosity towards it. Like, he doesn't think it's something to be mad about, but he's also very cautious now. All right. Uh, He said that he doesn't believe that it was a ghost that stabbed him, but he does think that the house can have negative effects on a person's mental state. Causing to uh, something like stabbing yourself or <laughs> course, other right. erratic behavior. Um, but yeah, he, he does think that like if it was himself and, you know, he's like he admits it. He's like, I was not awake or like I can't remember anything. So if it was self-inflicted, it must have been. But it wasn't him, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Now, here are other paranormal investigators results. These are these are like the ones that I found that were from more, you know, your more mainstream paranormal investigators, whatever. Sure. Now, these are EVPs that I found really interesting and also more clear. Okay. So this is what like, and also more common. Like people tend to hear this a lot. All right. People hear, what is it? Release me. When asked, why did you do this? Or like, why, whatever. 
Hard to stop is a response.、Mm. Help me. That's a com- very common one. When asked, did you do something to the family? The response was, I killed them. I'm in here. Mommy, train. You're not supposed to be in here. And whenever someone antagonizes a, the spirit or ghost or anyone that, that's in the, the house,、yeah. oftentimes they get like profanity. Really? Yeah, so they'll get like F you or whatever. So that's very so, interesting. And, you, and this is, you know, EVP, not a spirit box, right? Or is it a spirit box?、Um, okay, so some of them were spirit boxes, but the EVP, so usually whenever. Oh, shoot. I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to remember which ones I got from where. So the F you, whatnot, those were actual EVPs. See, I'm, I'm someone who I'm very fascinated by EVPs. Those are the ones I'm more interested in. I'm not a big spirit box guy. I, I've read enough about it that I just don't buy into it. I understand,、But、yeah. I think the biggest tricky thing, because it's totally a psychology thing, it's kind of like the ink blots、mm-hmm. when. You kind of see whatever you're going to see, and it kind of helps give them indications where your brain is at. Oftentimes, I've heard sounds and、yeah. I hear something different. I do think EVP is a lot more interesting because it's kind of like just regular capture. And they、something. were the ones I heard were super clear too. Like,、really? they'll be like, and, and even some of the ones that I just talked about, I can't remember which ones exactly, but they would ask the questions and they didn't hear it. They were just recording it. So obviously, they'd go back later, re listen, and these are the things that would come back. So that's the ones that I really like as well. I think you're right. There's something to it.、Um, another thing that, they, that this is like the last thing I think that is more or less common is hearing growls or screaming. So that to me sounds a little demonic. Oh, absolutely. So I'm guessing whatever entity had passed through through the Ouija boards that we talked about earlier. Not a happy probably, one. It's not happy. He does not like it. So here we go. Okay, so remember the review we talked about earlier? <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. There were plenty of reviews online about the Velisca house and people staying there. But again, you have to remember that most of the people that stay there are paranormal investigators or like super enthusiasts, and they don't tend to like express what they found there. They just try to like either gush or say, like, oh, yes, we learned about this or whatever. Sure.、Um, there were some about day tours. Obviously, people le- left reviews about that, but it wasn't. I couldn't find anything like great, but I did find one I liked. So here we go. All right. Cynthia E said, We walked to the house, and when I first stepped inside, I immediately got dizzy and hard of breath, and my boyfriend got dizzy and confused. Owner says that happens often. She gave us history of the murders and suspects and tour of the house, and right away I felt hands on my arm as she was telling me the history. And the hands felt small and warm, so I'm guessing it was one of the kids who died. My boyfriend did not feel welcomed at all. He said he felt like he was being choked and his eyes were getting watery. So the owner left us with the key. So it sounds like he was, they were staying there. Now it's just me and Irvin alone in the notorious ghost house. So what do we do? We order Pizza Hut. Oh my God. <laughs> five out of five. <laughs> Wait, wait, like, that's it. There's nothing else. <laughs> there was there was more to it, but like it wasn't. It was just erratic. It's just saying、um, like we ate Pizza Hut while ghosts were mad at us. I think they say the night they said that they felt other things. They kind of said like the stuff. They're like we saw an orb or like I don't know, and we felt uneasy. It wasn't like super 
detailed. Yeah, so I just kind of left it out, but you get the gist. To be honest, it could have just been food poisoning. <laughs> They're like, Pizza Hut makes you hallucinate. Who knows? The ghost gave us diarrhea. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was the one review I found that was actually entertaining slash gave some sort of real personal experience other than, like, I felt uneasy, which is fine, but, like, I need more. Sure, sure. Anyway, so there is a movie that came out, and it's, I forgot what it's called specifically, but it is about the Villisca axe murders. It came out in 2016. Mm. It has a 4.1 on IMDb. Oh, that's uh, that's actually pretty low. 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sounds like Rotten Tomatoes to me. And audience is 11%, so... Oh, I see. Woof. Yeah. You know, when the Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> score is low, but the audience is high, you're like, oh, it's just not a critical masterpiece. It's not like something that would make it to the Oscars, yeah. but like when audience is lower, you're like, oh, god damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see it. No, I mean, either. You're like, I don't even remember the name. Like, don't worry, you don't need to know You don't name. need... To. I, I think that I subconsciously did not care. So here we are. Anyway. That is my story for the Velisca house murder story. Fantastic. And I'm pretty sure you really want to go see the house. I really, really do. I don't at all. Not even a little bit? Not even a little bit. Oh, man. Uh, because it's it. part of it is, you know, it sounds like this is some high levels of activity. So if it really is haunted and that stuff's happening there, that would be the kind of place where I would actually have my first weird experience if it yeah. happened. But the other thing is, even if we ignore all the paranormal stuff, if we go straight skeptic on it, which is totally cool, it was still a house where a lot of children were killed by an axe, and that's enough to put me off. It's really difficult. I would admit, even for me, like whenever I go somewhere and I knew like a murder took place in that very Mm -hmm. exact location, I myself do get uneasy, and that, unfortunately, if you're a believer, this is just fuel to the flame so people would experience more things and you're just more vulnerable it's why i'm really concerned whether or not i would be able to actually see you know the concentration camps that they use as like museums in like germany i I don't know if i can handle that like the historian in me and the world war ii buff that i've been ever since i was like 12 or whatnot Mm -hmm. really wants to see them but then i also know there's part of me that like I think the minute we would get there, I'd be like, I don't know if I can go in here because it's just so yeah. many people. Like, So I think it's just one of those things. I, I, I don't think there's understand. a single thing about this house where I'm like, I need to be there. But I'll totally look at pictures. Oh, there's plenty of pictures. And there's really fun videos to and watch and stuff like that. Yeah. I'll do that stuff. Oh, I don't we know should. If I can go there. Yeah. Oh, do you remember um, Amy's Crypt? I've talked about her a few times on mm-hmm. the podcast. She did something as well. That she, that's pretty fun to watch. And actually, she gets to interview the caretaker that I was talking about as well. So you get to see him. So maybe what will happen is we'll go to the area and then I'll drop <laughs> you off and then I'll go play roulette and go eat at like a pizza hut sure. while you're hey. touring the place and then we'll see which one of us had a worse experience. <laughs> you, obviously. So before we go, because that was a great story, but before we go, <laughs> I just wanted to give a fun little news update for all of you who are interested in all things extraterrestrial. Oh. Back in July, the Pentagon set up a new office called the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or AARO. Its entire purpose is the tracking and gathering of data for all unidentified objects. Whoa. And not just those flying in the sky, but also in space and, believe it or not, underwater. Which, I have to admit, I haven't heard that talked about ever, so that was kind of exciting. Right. 
So this was done in response to the mass number of officially reported sightings, many of which were caught on video that have been brought to mass attention the last few years. They even had that hearing in uh, yeah. it, the was it the Senate or Congress or whatnot, where they were like, "What are these things? We have video, like military like video." Military, the, they, yeah, that was that whole thing. We watched the video. Yeah. So this was a response to that. So 144 encounters, to be more specific, that were considered credible that occurred between 2004 and 2021. Hmm. According to the Associated Press article from December 16th, the existence and publicizing of this office should help reduce stigmas that exist, which would have prevented high-profile individuals from publicly reporting these encounters that they've had. Okay. So essentially it's kind of like we want people who've seen stuff to say it, but they may have been worried because they're like, I don't want my career in jeopardy. Like, yeah. it's trying to make it more legitimate. Like, this is an official government thing. We are noticing stuff. We need to look into this. And, and that's it's a really good thing because, like, you want that information as well. And that's so unfortunate that there's a yeah. stigma. And I get it, but, like, still. Well, it seems to have worked. <gasps> because <gasps> since opening, it hasn't even opened a year yet. The Anomalies Office Director, Sean Kirkpatrick, has said that, quote, several hundreds, end quote, of new reports have been filed. Heck Yes. Exciting stuff. But before any of you fellow tinfoil hat wearers get too excited, (laughs) keep in mind that one of the purposes of this office is to help sort through these encounters and help identify more likely explanations such as secret stealth vehicles from Mm. enemies, uh, enemy drones, hypersonic missiles, and various other non-extraterrestrial things. They're not all going to be aliens, if any. We don't know. But But that is fair. Like That's also very valuable information. Yeah. Yeah. So I just ran into that article a few days ago. It got me excited. It wasn't like a full-on story, but I felt it was a little bit that some of you guys might be interested in, mostly looking at you, Rob. (laughs) Casually shout out. Me and Rob connect on this. Yes. Not just because more people are starting to report things that they have seen, but that the government has finally acknowledged that the weird stuff is happening and that we need to pay attention. And that's the first step to finding answers, regardless of whether they turn out to be extraordinary or boring. Yes. So... That was my little update for all you guys. I love it. That was a really good one. I'm super excited about this. I can't wait to like hopefully find more information about that in the future. But I do think this brings our episode to a close. It does. And I do want to say one thing last. I want to say happy birthday to Carolyn, who is a listener, fan, Yay. friend, cool person. What day was her birthday? So I think it was, well, I know her party thing was on Saturday and we couldn't go. But she turned 70 freaking amazing she had like an all-white party oh my god how cute like i fucking love this like everyone's wearing like white clothes or something yeah my emo inside cried a little bit but i think i could have found an outfit for sure if i was able to go <laughs> um <laughs> but anyway like, you your emo inside but i totally heard email and i was email. like i don't get it her email cried yeah i was like also my email cried well carolyn is the best so is. we're so happy that you listen to us and happy birthday happy birthday okay now we can close it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So thank you all for joining us at the Hair of the Werewolf tonight. And if you have any comments or questions, please drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. To any new listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. And make sure to catch our next episode or deep dive into any of our 80-plus episodes that already exist. And for our longtime listeners at work or driving, have a safe and productive day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope that your tomorrow isn't too rough. But if it is, don't worry. (laughs) Because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. See ya.